gusto de tenerlas también y escucharlas a través de Radio Suyuari. Yo creo que va a ser un gusto y un placer también tener contacto con ustedes y llevar la información hasta el interior también. Yeah, he's, it's an honor, it's a, it's a pleasure, um, and he's excited to main, maintain contact between the two radio stations. Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Paul Reismandel. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. And today on Radio Survivor, we're going to talk about how radio influences social movements to organize communities. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the country of Honduras. And we're joined in the studio today by our guest, Ellen Knudsen. Hello, Ellen. Hello, Eric. Thanks you for, thank you for being on Radio Survivor today. And also, we're joined on the line from Minneapolis, Minnesota, by our other guest, Meredith Beeson. Greetings, everyone. Hello. Thank you for being here today, Meredith. You're also a radio producer out there at radio station KRSM in South Minneapolis. Thank you so much for joining us today on Radio Survivor. Indeed. Shout out to KRSM 98.9. Big shout out to the low power FM stations everywhere and, and particularly to KRSM in South Minneapolis. You know, why we wanted to kind of cover this is that Honduras doesn't really show up right now on most U.S. news radars. And yet the only way it shows up is often people talking about migrants who are leaving that country and showing up often here uh, at the border of the United States. But we don't learn the context of why that might be happening. And, you know, the conflicts that are happening on the ground there on Doris, especially afflicting a lot of indigenous people, um, are very important. Yeah. And we have this intersection where radio is a very important communications medium in those struggles. Ellen and Meredith uh, have just recently returned from a trip to Honduras and spoke with radio producers there, including indigenous radio producers who we're going to hear the voices of on today's episode. And that's why we brought you in today. So Meredith, can you give us a sense for why you were in Honduras? You're working with an organization called Witness for Peace Solidarity Collective. Tell us a little bit about what brought you there and a little bit about Witness for Peace. Yeah, so earlier this year, I went on a 10-day delegation with Ellen down to Honduras, and this was actually my second trip down to Honduras. I was a participant uh, in 2018 on a delegation, and then I helped coordinate the second round um, earlier in spring. And really, it's standing in solidarity with folks who are doing incredibly important work um, related to human rights violations. And there's a lot of history and context to unpack here and I could bore you all within, you know, a couple of hours. But yeah. really, the the coup in 2009 uh, was backed and supported by the United States. And the U.S. has had a stronghold and taken advantage of Honduras in a lot of ways over the years. But in 2009, that coup was supported by the United States. And subsequently, there's been a lot of support for um, dictators that are favorable to United States business interests. So... Um, that's just a little bit of the context and history, and really this human rights delegation, we met with a series of partners, uh, probably 14 different partner groups in Honduras all across the country doing incredible work, whether it was organizing, um, communicating issues going on within communities and across communities. And you went there to meet with 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 these different groups, I mean, what is the function for you to be there? What what is the function of the delegation there in Honduras? 
Yeah, so really the function, it is a solidarity approach in that we learn about issues and meet people and share stories and listen to their stories. And, you know, frankly, I went down there my first time as a representative from a low-powered community radio station in Minneapolis to go down and actually record these stories and um, rebroadcast and share those uh, narratives up in the United States. Because as you said, Paul, there's really limited information about what is happening in Honduras. The only thing that most Americans um, see about Honduras is the arrival at the border and um, subsequent migration um, happening. So it's really about education and understanding the influence that the United States has in the region as well as just the incredible work of these partners and how we can't amplify their work and their stories up here in the United States to create a different narrative. And Alan, I mean, what brought you to go to Honduras? You're you're not a radio producer uh, in, in the rest of your life. Why did you decide to go on the same delegation as well? Right. So I think that this notion of standing in solidarity with um, groups that are often forgotten about, marginalized, pushed to the side, not even recognized what um, conditions uh, they are living in that actually benefit people like me in the U.S. was something that was extraordinarily important to me. Um, and, you know, sometimes we're, you know, if I if I think about like, oh, I, I, I need to clean I'm going to shove everything in the closet and shut the door, right? Like, sometimes I feel like in the U.S. we live our lives that way. Um, and I thought it was important to go and see with my own eyes and, and meet people in person to see what is their lived experience in Honduras in ways that are, in many respects, they're living in, you know, really detrimental circumstances, but brought on by policies from the U.S., business interests from the U.S., and things that actually benefit me, even if I'd like to think that I'm a good person. My question is then, how does it benefit the folks that you are coordinating with? You know, from a mainstream media point of view, often, you know, Western journalists are criticized for just sort of uh, parachuting in to places that they don't really know or understand they stay in the nice hotel they talk to a few people who work in the government right. or the police they get a, they get a story or two they get some photos and then they exactly they leave. or that other you know even sometimes aid groups do similar sorts of things so my question is you know the folks that you're learning from and learning about their circumstances and struggle how do they benefit from uh, folks on this sort of witness for peace delegation? How do they benefit? Well, that was actually a question that we asked many of the partners that we met with. Right. So people in you asked people yes. in Honduras the yes. question. Right. Right. Like, how are we helping? How, how are we not? Helping? How are we helping? How how could we be more of help? Um, and this notion of uh actually coming to where they were, not just going to the capital. We were in in several different regions in Honduras. Um, So seeing them where they are, meeting them, um, and another... And then coming back with their stories and doing things like we're doing here on Radio Survivor um, of telling their stories to other people. Yeah, I think Ellen is exactly right. I... 
I was, I, I think our entire group was so surprised about the gratitude and appreciation that we felt from partners just sitting and sharing space with them. And of course, we had a lot of um, conversations about how we are going to, in the right way, bring this message back because there's, there's a, it's an uphill battle when you think about taking this type of narrative and bringing it back home, right? I mean, again, when you're starting at a deficit and people only understanding this from sort of an inflammatory immigration, migration concept and border walls is really what people are starting with. But it was a great reminder for us as we were invited into these communities to share space, to share food, to share coffee, to share stories. It was incredible. Yeah, so I'm just going to add... Uh, or just underscore what Meredith just said about how we heard over and over again when we asked, well, what what can we do to be helping you? And and the the folks there on the ground in Honduras said, you're doing it. You're here with us. Yeah. Um, you know, you're seeing us, you're hearing us, you're holding space with us. Um, and it was uh, so important to them to ha- feel that support from an international group of human rights observers. And I I mean, at this point, I will just add that I feel like this is what community radio is always here for. This is what ra- and radio in general is supposed to be like this. But more often than not, it's community radio that actually does the work of having other voices, voices other than that one guy who gets to talk, which is how uh, media often works outside of community radio. And so just this is what community radio has been doing for over a generation now is mm-hmm. bringing these voices from, you know, places like Latin America. What has the United States' foreign policy been in its uh, quote-unquote backyard and how does that impact the people who live there? Uh, I know that these stories have been told on community radio stations quite a lot. Yes. And, and Meredith, can you give us a sense for – what are some of these oppressions uh, that people are experiencing, people that you were able to meet? What, what did you observe? Yeah, so we have we met again with probably 14 different partners. And one of the partners we spent the first four days with was the Movimento Amplio. And their full name is the Movimento Amplio Por la Dignidad y la Justicia. And they go by Madge, which is mm-hmm. less mouthful. So um, is, let's, is that the movement to amplify justice and... Uh... It's the broad movement for justice and dignity mm-hmm. in English. And, you know, there are threats against people's lives who are doing this work. And that's not just the organizers within a group like Madge. This is community members that Madge works with that are rallying around protecting their forests, protecting their water, rivers... And there are um, not just death threats, but people are actually getting arrested for phony charges and being required to go down to different courthouses multiple times a week, which is very onerous. Um, slander, um, you know, like character assassination, um, and and it goes on. I mean, the the political repression um, is has been extremely strong. For for anyone speaking out against Juan Orlando Hernandez, the current president, and then journalists, especially um, some of the radio folks that we had talked with, are are on the front lines of trying to expose the corruption um, and impunity that's happening in Honduras. And 
it's it runs deep. So yeah. journalists in particular, I think there's been 77 journalists that have died in Honduras doing this kind of freedom work, and that includes TV, online media, and radio. Meredith Beeson, um, you visited Honduras as a part of a delegation for Witness for Peace Solidarity Collective. Uh, can you tell us some more? Is there any? Is there a, a more specific story of a journalist um, uncovering a kind of uh, environmental destruction or corruption that you can share with the listeners? Yeah. So there is a um, indigenous community that both Ellen and I on our past delegation had the opportunity to travel up to Loco Mapa, which if those of you who know Spanish, uh, it roughly translates to crazy map, which is absolutely (laughs) true on the long winding road to get up to the Tolopan community. And the Tolopan are um, a gracious group of folks who have been, uh, who are an indigenous group to the area, um, live up in the mountains in a a really great forested area of this mountain range um, Mm -hmm. in a certain region in Honduras. And there are extractivist industries that have worked long and hard and have finally um, started to deforest some of these, you know, very old um, forests around Tolopan um, in the area of Locomapa. And really, you know, it's devastating to see, especially having traveled a year apart. On my first delegation, we were invited into this community as part of our um, trip and it was amazing to meet uh, Jose Maria from the Tolopan, who's one of the leaders of the Tolopan community. And then this time around, I could actually see the destruction and the deforestation that's happening across the mountain in their community. And just right before we had gone on this trip, there were two people that were assassinated in um, Loco Mapa as part of their speaking out against the deforestation. Well, I wonder if, if Ellen, you can bring in uh, what is what is radio doing in the face of of uh, this situation? In is is there radio in this community? So um, I'll say two things about radio um, in Loco Mapa and with the Tolopan community. Um, first, there is a wonderful story that Jose Maria uh, told us. Um, that in his community, they were suffering, they were suffering from this uh, logging industries that were, you know, coming into to their indigenous lands mm-hmm. um, uh, and taking taking trees out and uh, against the wishes of of members of the community, um, even though there are uh, just, like UN uh, level uh, agreements that Honduras has signed on to that say that you can't extract um, natural resources from indigenous lands without uh, informed and prior consent. Um, but, you know, all of this had been ignored. Uh, so he was, they were struggling in the community and he heard uh, Martin Fernandez on the radio, on Radio Dignidad, mm-hmm. um, talking about the ways that other communities had been organizing okay. um, to stop industries. Well, tell and, us more about uh, Radio Dignidad, then. What is um, Radio Dignidad? Uh, so, but I, I just want, okay. I want to finish the story very quickly. So he called in um, to Martin's show to say, you know, we, we, need, we need your help. We need some advice on how we can organize, too. Um, only that particular day, the radio was a, 
a recording. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Martine wasn't in the office. Um, but uh, but that was the way that they got yeah. that they got connected, which was great. And so then more about Radio Dignidad. This was something that was started by Madge. And it started first, they just had one hour of radio um, on another radio station, which they got kicked off of because they were you know, trying to organize people to to move against uh, this kind of extractivist industries um, that are polluting the waterways, um, that's, you know, deforesting the land. And uh, so they were censored off of that radio station. The community came together and said, well, we could have our own radio. Hmm. As probably many listeners of uh, Radio Survivor will know, the equipment you need to put on a radio station isn't isn't complicated. Um, you know, you can you can get it. Uh, and so they they put on their own radio station while also uh, at the time applying for licenses from the government because uh-huh. the government says there should be community radio in um, Honduras. It's a it is the case that they have not received their license because the government is not actually interested in uh, in having community radio. Right. But, uh, there they are operating the, now 15 hours a day of programming and taking also that notion of using radio and using radio for organizing to these other communities like Locomapa. And did you guys visit Radio Dignidad? We did. We uh, did, yeah. Meredith, Meredith Beeson, tell me and the listeners what we, what we should know about Radio Dignidad there in Honduras. Well, so Radio Dignidad actually, and, and let me maybe take one step back and just explain a little bit more about Movimento Amplo, because the way that they approach their community organizing and working with various communities, there's actually different Radio Dignidad locations. Um. And so um, Movimento Amplo works hand in glove with um, communities across Honduras and prioritizing ones, again, that are facing these extractivist industries. And Movimento Amplio does everything from researching the legality of these projects, consulting with communities, creating spaces for debate, which is really, really great, like in-person town hall forums, and then, of course, communication. And this isn't just within a community, even though these community radio stations and Radio Dignidads are run by the community members themselves, it's also to share more broadly within a region so people can tune in if they're on the other side of the mountain or, you know, four hours away. So really the Radio Dignidad bottle is to have and empower communities to create this area for talking about the issues that matter to them, um, there's indigenous program. There's actually programming that children um, create and produce mm. themselves. Um, and it really does address these community needs. And um, I know that Radio Dignidad uh, was just starting to get a new tower set up in Locomapa, and they were definitely you know, eager to get that um, station set up. That's really exciting. We here at Radio Survivor would love to hear more about... Uh, New community radio stations going up uh, sounds like in a quasi unlicensed sort of way because of uh, because of their resistance to the government of Honduras. They're not necessarily going to be granted licenses to go on the air, despite uh, despite there being some kind of framework for well, community radio. Well, and that's I think an interesting thing for us to take into account here, right? Because I think that often an assumption is made that you know a radio license comes with a certain degree of ability to speak freely, right? 
Mm-hmm. Or in, in the U.S. context, we take for granted that by and large, and in much of Western Europe, that uh, a radio license cannot be deprived. You cannot be deprived of a, of, right. a, of a radio license because of the content of your programming. And, and what I understand here is that there, that there is a mandate in Honduras, at least uh, in law, that some portion of radio licenses should be reserved for community broadcasting, and yet on the ground, it seems not to be that simple. I'm going to assume that law might have been pre-2009 coup. Yeah. Uh, can, can you fill us in a little bit on that, Meredith? Yeah, and I just did some quick research on this, but I know that part of the international rights um, community has really called attention to this specific um, di- disparity between sort of what radio licenses are being issued versus aren't. And really the um, law, and I don't know the date offhand, but the community radio is supposed to make up about 33% or you know a third of the licenses. And it has under 0.5%. It's actually at 0.26% of licenses. So a huge gap there. And, you know, there's real barriers even if your radio is sanctioned. I mean, the infrastructure and electricity is state and government run in Honduras. And a lot of these communities that Ellen and I visited are in very rural areas. And so energy and electricity um, and access to batteries and things like that is incredibly important. Um, But there are a lot of under-the-radar radios in Honduras, and it is not um, uncommon across the entire Central America region. And I also found it really interesting that the Catholic Church actually has... the Honduras is um, an incredibly Catholic country. I think it's over 95% Catholic. And so you see that reflected in almost 8% of the radio licenses have gone to kind of Catholic church run Mm. um, radios. So those are just a couple of interesting stats. Um, But definitely a lot of barriers for folks, especially indigenous folks in accessing this. And um, I know that there's been at least 23 community radio stations in five of the seven uh, kind of indigenous areas. Meredith Beeson, did you get a chance? I, I'm curious whether I'm curious what kind of radio um, Catholic or the Catholic Church's radio is like in Honduras, because I can make assumptions, but you can also imagine a world in which they'd be doing community radio as well. Yeah, that's actually a really good question, and the really the biggest one that I'm familiar with is Radio Progreso. And it was actually started by um, some missionaries, Jesuit miss- missionaries. And it, you know, while there are some uh, missionary history and sort of indoctrination that came along with, um, you know, the types of programming, there really was a strong civic engagement, educational component to anything, even though it's on a religious radio station, right? So. I think especially now in sort of the post-missionary or at least a, a com, it's definitely not as common as it was down there before. There's absolutely still mission groups and church groups going down to Honduras to save people. But this is really, um, Radio Progresso is probably one of the largest commercial radio stations and they are Jesuit started. I don't know who runs it now. But. You, you mentioned an educational component. I think that might be a nice way to, to talk about um, the role that radio uh, in Honduras plays 
in education, I understand that with with so many people in the population being uh, less than literate, not being able to access information in the written form, that radio plays a, a really important role. Ellen? So one of the things that we talked a lot about with uh, Martin Fernandez, who is one of the um, community organizers um, for MADGE, and his brother uh, actually was the founder of, of Match, and both Martin and his brother Victor are mm-hmm. um, lawyers by trade. So another thing that Madge does is uh, work the legal angles of, uh, of many cases. But anyhow, Martin was talking to us about uh, the, the importance of radio um, for, their, for their movements, and, and it was really this notion of using it as a way of, of education and a way of organizing, uh, he called it the permanent assembly. Mm. So, you know, in, in, in much of Latin American Honduras, certainly the, this notion of a town hall is called an assembly. Yeah, it's like a, a form of direct democracy yeah. that, that some right. people in the United States might be familiar with or attempting right. to practice, but right. it's it's a lot more um, common or at least widely uh, put to use in Latin America. Uh, people getting together into rooms Right. To to talk and, long uh, yeah. meetings, right, <laughs> and, and to discuss the, the the ways that they hope to move forward in, yeah. in their community. So you know, thinking about radio as that that kind of permanent assembly, right, yeah. of, of ways that we're, we're getting together, we're sharing, and and they would um, take calls and even taking calls in in you know a very uh, low tech way. Okay, where, like <laughs> call up my cell phone and I'm putting putting right. my Hold cell phone up, up the to the microphone. I love it. Right. Yep. <laughs> Yep, um, but it, you know it gets the voices out there. It gets the ways that that people can can communicate. Yeah. So one of the clips that I hope we can play um, is a conversation and a very short interview that I did with a gentleman by the name of San, Samuel Manuelis, and this is from my trip in 2018. And he and I talked a lot about his indigenous-run radio station, which really he and his dad it sounds like started in. Um, political formation or kind of civic education group and then a radio offshoot kind of came out from there and really what Samuel gets into and you'll hear more from the clip itself is talking about um, you know there was a a huge um, issue with teen pregnancies and so they leaned into that and uh, tried to create education around um, healthy sex ed and uh, kind of ways to discourage um, teenage pregnancies. And another example that he gave was providing a um, uh, a way for indigenous folks to, so instead of playing uh, reggaeton uh, for all the kids, they actually started playing some of the indigenous music that was local to the area. Mm-hmm. So those are just a couple of good little snippets of how that education can work and act, you know, making more more information available to people in different venues. And radio is an incredibly important um, source of information for Hondurans. Almost thirty three percent of the population uses radio as a main source of uh, how they get their info. That's the voice of Meredith Beeson, and we're also joined in studio by Ellen Knutson. This is Radio Survivor. My name is Eric Klein, and I'm here with Paul Reismandel, and we're talking with Ellen and Meredith because they were recently in Honduras with the Witness for Peace Solidarity Collective trip, and Meredith was just referencing an interview that they recorded with Samuel Manuelis, 
who is a radio producer there in Honduras. Let's take a listen to that interview. Eh, muy buenas tardes. Así que los encontramos aquí en La Esperanza en Tibucá. Mi nombre es José Samuel Santo Manuel Reyes. Eh, soy eh, comunicador social de la 102.2 FM Radio Suyuare, ubicada en el Pedernal San José de La Paz. Good afternoon. My name is Jose Samuel Manuel. Samuel Manueles, uh, and he his radio station is one ciento cero dos. Ciento dos punto dos frecuencia. One o two point two frequency um, and from La Paz. In La Paz. Yeah, in La Paz. San Jose La Paz. San Jose La Paz. Can you share with me a little bit about why you're here at Copin and what you hope to get out of it? Eh, bueno. Yo pertenezco a otra organización que es la CNTC, Central Nacional de Trabajadores del Campo, donde nosotros también... Eh, so he works with CNTC, it's a camp campesino organi organization, like people that work the land. Um, and Copin uh, solicited the, president, the presence of them in this, um, in this event uh, so that they could organize and unite for this uh, special event, for this, for this fight, right? Um, and specifically for the rights of indigenous people and people that work the land. Con más altura en poder este pegar ese grito y decir sí podemos. So what are some of the challenges your radio station faces and yeah, talk about some of the issues with community radio in your community. El desafío más fuerte Eh, hay diferentes formas de desafío. Hay en, en tener represión. So there are many forms of challenges. Uh, one of them is to contain repression. And a way that we can fight that is to open the eyes of the, the pueblo, the, the town, the people, right? Uh, specifically the indigenous people who have been systemically repressed. We are the original inhabitants of this country um, and we need to re remember that. Y aquí en Honduras, la descendencia es luchar por nuestros derechos. So how long have you been doing radio and are you working with any youth or training um, younger people coming up behind you on how to do radio? Eh, la radio hace nueve años funciona. So the radio was founded nine years ago um, by his father, uh, the Centro Nacional de Trabajadores del Campo. So that's, that's his organization, right? So the National Center for um, Campesinos, right? Exactly, CNTC. Uh, so that was funded nine years ago. Uh, he has been working at the radio station seven years. Um, and they work, they do uh, focus on uh, com training uh, younger people. Um, but more importantly, uh, their audience is very young. Um, and so the message um, is to let the young people, or have the young people know their rights. Um, they, and to not lose their culture. Um, one way that they do that is instead of putting reggaeton, uh, they put traditional, they play traditional music. Um, he has uh, grown a lot in his seven years there, um, and he's been working really hard alongside um, young people um, and to, um, uh, yeah, have a have a focus in on their culture so that they can uh, be trained in that way. Tenemos otro. También promovemos lo que es salud. So another focus that they have is to promote um, health. And one specific thing that they do is working um, to fight um, uh, young pregnancies. And also they try to teach them how to work in teams because they're stronger in teams. 
So I've learned a lot about how journalists in this country ha- are um, oftentimes put in danger because of them speaking truth to power. Can you tell me how has your experience been? Um, are, are you feeling any political pressure because of the stories that you're trying to tell and the work that you're trying to do? Eh, bueno, en el trabajo que nosotros hacemos, eh, odio ¿eh? que... que they suffer from persecution um, because they're saying things that no one else is saying um, they show injustices through their program um, and they, they look for the, the best form to say those things um, they focus on, on laws um, so that, and they look for the best way to, to say things um, so the correct way so that later they're not um, persecuted because they, they make sure that they're saying it correctly and they're, so that later they're not criminalized promovemos, eh, promovemos también y informamos a la gente también porque ya en nuestro país, aquí en Honduras hay bastantes concesiones mineras como son represas hidroeléctricas concesiones mineras, primero hacemos la investigación luego los vamos a informar entonces para que la gente vaya conociendo que la información que nosotros estamos dando no, no es falsa, es una realidad a través de la radio uh, So the first thing they do is investigation um, and then they inform the public um, and one fight that they've had is um, the is again, or they've they've opened the public's eyes to um, mineral concessions for mining um, and hydroelectric and ex- extractionary things. So that's an example of how they investigated first and then they inform the inform the public. Are there any specific projects that are happening in your community, like mining or hydroelectric dams, that uh, your community is rallying around? Ahorita tenemos una represa hidroeléctrica en la comunidad, está ubicada en el Gilguero, la represa está ubicada en el Gilguero que fue hecha por la vicepresidenta. En su comunidad hay un hidroeléctrico. Están construyéndolos. Ya está construida. Así que eso ya está construida por la vicepresidenta del Congreso. Sí, sí. nombre es Gladys Aurora López. Uh, and the name of the hydroelectric dam is called Gladys Aurora Lopez. That's why the yeah, check. Vicepresidenta del Congreso. Del Congreso, yeah, yeah, exactly. She's the vice president of, of the Congress. Um, so there are a lot more projects around in that area, um, but um, they have put a amparo, like a legal uh, way to stop something. <laughs> Oh yeah, like a um, a cease and desist. Yeah, cease and like desist, a ce- yeah. yeah, so they've they've um, put a cease and desist legally against it, um, and that, that's kind of the situation that it's in right now. So, are you working with any other community radios, and how are you working to share your message and your, within your community with other communities next door or even across um, different countries? Ahorita, como comunicador social, trabajando en Radio Suyuara, la 102.2. Estoy en la radio, ahorita estoy solo para la radio Suyuguare. También ahora cuando hay eh, reportajes de, de, de denuncias, cuando están condenando los ríos, también me enfoco como corresponsal para también para Radio Progreso, que le hago informes también a Radio Progreso para sí. que ellos tengan conocimiento también de lo que está pasando en nuestras comunidades. Sí. Yo hablo en uh, uh, el Radio Progreso. 
uh, earlier this week. Uh, so in his work with the radio station 102.2, uh, Radio Suyagual, no? Yeah. Uh, so they do a lot of, um, they denounce a lot of violations, right? And they uh, they uh, share those denou denouncements uh, with other radios and they also share what denouncements that they hear. Um, he has a special connection with Radio, Radio Progreso. Um, last year he put in a denouncement, there's probably a better word for that, um, against the, uh, with the um, Fiscalia de Etnias, which is the ethnic um, attorney, like the attorney that deals with ethnic issues, um, to asking them to verif verify um, river contamination in his um, in his geographic area, in his municipality, um, because um, so co coffee plant plantations. Um, They like the water that's left over um, from the process. Like sits for a while and then it goes into the river and it contaminates the water and it killed a lot of fish this past year, which was big big news. Um, and so yeah, he did that um, investigation. He shared that with Radio Progreso and yeah, it seems like it was a pretty big, pretty big issue. Well, thank you so much for this interview. Do you have any questions for me? Gracias. <laughs> Gracias. Es un placer, es un honor que eh, compartir esta entrevista con ustedes. También la llevo grabada para mi radio, que por ahí lo van a estar escuchando también la entrevista y el trabajo que están haciendo ustedes. Mucho gusto y un placer. Ah, espera, eh, ella quiere saber si usted tiene preguntas para ella. Eh, sí. Eh, la pregunta mía como eh, como comunicador de radios. You guys as as being being defenders, um, what are you going to do? What are, what is your role in uh, the fight for indigenous rights here? So some of the things that our delegation is going to do are things like documentaries. I'm doing radio and going to play come back and play um, bits and pieces of recordings. Uh, I also would like to rebroadcast real, authentic radio from Honduras on the local community station that I'm in. And um, there's people taking photographs, and we are sharing the stories of the Honduran people that are here and trying to amplify them in the U.S. media market, which does not talk a lot about... Central American politics or what's happening down here, even though there's such a direct influence of the United States. So those are a couple of the ways that we want to share the stories and injustices that the United States is doing down here, as well as the government and Juan Orlando Hernandez. Una pregunta. Eh, eh, bueno, ¿cómo, ¿qué trabajo están haciendo ustedes como radio para enfocarse y llevar este trabajo de Honduras a Estados Unidos sobre las injusticias en nuestro país. So he wants more specifics. <laughs> What specific work are you, is your radio doing to focus on the, the plight of the indigenous people here? Our radio station is very new. We're only about six months old, and so we have five different languages. Um, not just English, uh, but we have uh, three shows in Spanish. No, nothing Honduran specific, but um, we do have a large Hispanic population and Spanish-speaking population that tunes into some of those shows. What I'd like to do is carry those stories from here specifically to raise awareness amongst those Americans as well as English-speaking Americans. 
um, about some of the injustices like the hydroelectric dams and the influence that the U.S. government and military, the U.S. government funding has on the military down here. Un trabajo que me gustaría como radio, una pregunta, me gustaría eh, como radio Suiguare tener un enlace en Estados Unidos para llevar lo que es la violencia aquí en el país y llevar un poco de información de lo que pasa en los pueblos indígenas con ustedes. No sé la pregunta. So he, he would like to have a, like an enlace, like a, um, oh my gosh, <laughs> a connection. So yeah, thank you so much for this interview. This is really great. <laughs> Gracias. Eh, dice que tienen que intercambiar información como números telefónicos, correo, lo que sea, no no sé, para estar mantener contacto y muchas gracias. Gracias, un gusto de tenerlas también y escucharlas a través de Radio Suyuari. Yo creo que va a ser un gusto y un placer también tener contacto con ustedes y llevar la información hasta el interior también. Gracias. Yeah, he's, it's an honor, it's a, it's a pleasure, um, and he's excited to main, maintain contact between the two radio stations. So that was an interview that our guest today on Radio Survivor, Meredith Beeson, recorded down in Honduras in 2018 with radio producer Samuel Manuelas. This is Radio Survivor. This We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Riesmandel. You just heard from Eric Klein. With us on the line from Minneapolis, Minnesota is Meredith Beeson and Ellen Knudsen joins us here in the Radio Survivor studios. And, and we're talking about Honduras. We're talking about the role of radio in Honduras, specifically with indigenous communities and in helping to form uh, communication, uh, to help organize uh, and educate, especially in the face of repression, which which is happening you know, a lot of a lot of extractive exploitation. Well, and, there. and I want to kind of put put a finer point on that. I worry that with our focus on radio tonight, we 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 risk uh, losing the real and and significant impacts on people there living everyday life in Honduras, right? And I'm gonna I'm gonna put out an understanding, and I'm gonna ask for you to 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 check me on my understanding here, because I think we we talk about these words like extractive, and and Meredith, you mentioned how uh, you could see the uh, progress in just uh, two visits over the course of a year of deforestation, and I'm not sure that it always lands on those of us who live principally urban lives what that really means. And I don't know, Meredith, if you can, you can help us kind of understand why uh, these communities are fighting deforestation and, and what, you know, you know, in, in the U S we would use a derogatory term tree hugger for people who often are fighting deforestation. But, but I imagine that there are significantly sure. more life threatening sorts of, of impacts that happen as a result. Can you, right. can you well, help us flesh out that, I would also that a little bit? Piggyback on that question by just calling attention again to the interview we just heard where the coffee plantation, uh, the existence of coffee growing in their communities led to a massive fish die-off. Right, right. Uh, what, what kind of impact does that have on people? Yeah, that's, and I'm glad you made the connection to the clip that we heard from 2018. And I also just want to spend time, again, talking about um, the community in Locomapa, the Tolopan, as well as people from Hilamito and Pahuilos. Each of these communities is facing um, kind of their own um, environmental degradation. And what I found really interesting is that 
It's not necessarily against the business or capital. Of course, the destruction of their you know sacred rivers and forests are incredibly important. But often you heard sentiments around community owned and organized about how they would use those resources, right? So using that, you know, kind of playing the capitalist game and saying, well, we would live like to develop the mine that would have been giving back to the community. So none of this money or, you know, consultation is happening with the community. They're, the money is not coming down to the folks in Gila Mito or Pauwiles or even in, up in Locomapa, that they are, their lands are being taken advantage of, they're being taken advantage of. And so we heard that in a couple of different ways from a few different community organizers of saying, well, we as a community would have done this differently. We wouldn't have bulldozed this area. We would have protected the water quality. So it's a finer point. And of course, there there's a spectrum of opinions and thoughts um, across communities, which is another thing as this political formation and political engagement work sets hold in communities, these these issues, just like they are in the United States, are incredibly divisive, right? There's people that want to support economic development in their areas, but then at the same time, there are staunch, you know, environmentalists. So just like it happens up here in mining conversations in Minnesota, communities are divided down there as well. But how do you keep that conversation moving forward? I I would bring it back to to radio and just say that these are these are uh, great topics for call in radio shows around the world. Uh, Absolutely, because they're unresolved issues that that you know that uh, healthy democracies can talk about on on, on the public airwaves. And yep. I, I'll I'll just uh, underscore a little bit. I um, absolutely what Meredith was saying about communities wanting control of their own natural resources so not having things stolen from their lands and having none of the benefits come back that's very important um but also there's real like their crops being tore out so that trucks can come in so they're they're not able to have their subsistence any longer um hydroelectric dams polluting their only drinking water yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So so it's it's not just about control, but also that the way that these extractivist projects are happening are detrimental to the health and very life of these communities. And the, the role then what I've heard is that radio is playing is, you know, I heard, you know, sort of open the eyes of the Pueblo. Right. It's it's to to help people understand both, I think, what is actually happening, the source of pollution, the source of some of these problems, and and in giving them the tools, I guess, uh, to begin to act out. I mean, one of these yeah. organizations, Madge, uh, was created by lawyers, right? That's what I understand, and 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 helping to equip people with the with how they might be able to go about engaging civically uh, in defense of their own resources, right? And and certainly taking on. Um you know, using those legal tools as a way to help communities um, fight against some of these extractivist projects um, or, you know, a- any other legal uh, means that uh, issues that might come up. I mean, we, we heard a number of times and certainly um, in in the clip about uh, criminalization, you know, p- people, you know, being told that, you know, because they are doing this, that they're you know, being charged with any number of different things that are often trumped up 
um, and don't have a lot of support. But then organizations like Madge are able to um, build the legal case to support uh, these community right. members. Tying well. you up in court or even possibly putting you in jail for a time, even if even if eventually you get out, still puts all these stumbling blocks and, and creates a lot of uh, interference uh, uh, for the folks who are defending their their rights. Well, right, and and intimidation, right. um, yep. and you know, yep. and, and having other people, you know, think that other people wouldn't wouldn't join because of because of these legal threats, and so then having an organization like Mad, you know, well, we've got your back too. So, yep. And I I would just chime in here and making some of the connections between these local issues and um, you know organizing tactics that are happening is to really bring it back to a country perspective because i you know I, there are countrywide strikes and protests happening right now and i know sometimes it's easy to get you know down into the weeds a little bit about these individual projects and sort of the extractivist nature but again a lot of the radio work is trying to unveil and dig up a lot of political corruption that's happening across the board from the highest levels within the government. And, you know, there are, their um, teachers have lost all the pension money um, that's been robbed to fund certain interest projects. Um, there's just been a lot of mismanagement of so- social services within the country. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to make some connections about the current events and what's happening in Honduras uh, within the last two weeks. And and in, and so doing, it sounds as though, I mean, these national protests, I mean, these are, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have been taking to the streets. Um, do you know that, that, you know, the ability to communicate via radio, I'm, as I'm sure alongside other sorts of media, have been instrumental in that organizing effort? Absolutely. I, you know, I think uh, it's in part coordinating. It's also just sort of sharing what tactics are being used against protesters and where um, it really is like a lot of radio documentation of sort of the world in which we live in and that it is real time down there and 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 recording some of the protests and 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 strike activities and i i'd like to bring up um sort of a a higher level notion that i heard uh just now in your interview uh Meredith Beeson with uh, Samuel Manuelas, who does radio down in Honduras. He mentioned that he would like to see connections with your radio station there in Minneapolis. And that echoed to me an idea that um, it, it, it lit up a light bulb for me that back on podcast number, uh, episode number 181, uh, this is now a uh, podcast number 198. 198. So, so back in uh, February of 2019, we had a guest on Radio Survivor, Julia Thomas, who had spent a year traveling the world visiting radio stations around the world, including uh, Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And that was an idea that was that came up often, that these radio stations, the, the people at these radio stations wanted connections with other communities around the world. And one of the nodes to make those connections was other radio stations. And it's it seems like something that is both old but very new. And I just, uh, I don't, you know, Radio Survivor now is playing a very, very, very small part in building those connections. But it sounds like um, whether or not I bring it up, those connections are being uh, called, called upon and, and, and uh, generated. And it's a, it's an interesting world to think about 
a, a world network of community radio stations supporting each other when 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 stories need to be shared. Meredith, were you able to follow up on that with with uh, your radio station? You know, I actually admittedly wasn't. I I, I definitely did. I had to pick and choose out of the yeah. you know over forty hours of audio that I ended up with on my first trip um, and. That one. So this is actually the first time that clip has played, and I'm uh, I'll be eager to loop back with Samuel and um, share that with him. I think one of the big and I appreciate your comments because it's such a great connecting tool. But in reality, it's about language, and language is a hard thing unless yeah, we yeah. have uh, you know some money for translation. That can be a very difficult thing about radio. And one of the best slash worst things about community radio is that it can be hyper local, right? And so when I'm looking at a show like Samuel Manuelis might be producing, it is probably very relevant to his community um, in that indigenous area. And yes, there there likely would be nuggets to share back, but probably not rebroadcast in whole. Yeah, I guess I have to at this point in the Radio Survivor program mention uh how i feel about the loss of the radio program free speech radio news which was my first job in radio back in uh, the 2003 2004 era um these sorts of stories being reported from these sorts of communities was the was the lifeblood of free speech radio news and it was done with uh just enough of a budget to pay people for their work so so yeah. uh the story of of um of Samuel Manuel as talking about issues in Honduras uh, would have generated just enough money to pay for the translation and then would have been broadcast on stations uh, around the United States for practically no money uh, on the Free Speech Radio News broadcast, half an hour of of international radio news uh, uh, five times a week. I I think that we could note the the ways that we did try and do some kinds of radio solidarity with these trips with Witness for Peace Solidarity Collective. So while we were in Honduras, uh, Meredith and I um, and other people on our delegation, we were on Radio Dignidad. Mm-hmm. Um, some other, which is like a network of community radio stations that are right. Although we, I think we were just on one of the yeah. channels, um, and then uh, a couple of our other. Uh, delegates were interviewed for a program on Radio Progreso. Mm-hmm. Um, and Meredith was collecting station IDs for her um, radio station uh, there in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And, and Meredith, you've been um, able to play those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, even though even though maybe we have goals uh, to strive for, for greater connectivity and more doing more of the work, just it's... It's not hard on community radio by doing just by doing our best to do 20 times better than what the mainstream media accomplishes when they talk about these countries and these people. Absolutely. I just wanted to give a shout out to some key partners, um, not just partners, but the Witness for Peace Solidarity Collective. Huge thank you to Corey and Aleha, who are critical staff in doing this work and helping set up all these meetings and really safely navigating us through a country that's experiencing a lot and partners that are experiencing a lot and going into areas that, you know, our partners are in danger. So I just wanted to give a shout out to them. Wonderful. 
Meredith Beeson, I know you need to go, so we really appreciate uh, the time that you've dedicated here to tell us more about uh, your work and what you've observed there, uh, both in terms of what's going on in the ground with regard to human rights, as well as what's going on with community radio in Honduras as part of your work with the uh, Witness for Peace uh, Solidarity Collective. Thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Survivor. Thank you, Radio Survivor. Big, big thanks to the great work that you're doing on this show. So we've learned a little bit about what's going on in, in indigenous communities and on the ground and on doors, the things that we're not learning uh, through most mainstream news outlets. Um, and one of the things that uh, both Meredith and you, Ellen Knudsen, have mentioned is there's a complicitness with the United States. And, and Ellen, you mentioned specifically how one of the reasons why you visited Honduras as part of this uh, Witness for Peace Solidarity Collective uh, delegation was because you wanted to have a sense for uh, what is happening. You know, what what do you share responsibility for um, that happens maybe, if not in your name, uh that you benefit from because of, because of the capital connections. Um, so can you, I mean, can you link that up a little bit more closely for me? So, so that we understand a little better when you say that we, we, ha- we share some responsibility uh, and that the U S government has some support here. Uh, I mean, how, what is that linkage? Right. So there's a long history of U S support, and U.S. interventions in Honduras. And I won't be getting into that um, specifically, but I will be talking about, um, you know, recent times, like things that are happening right now. Um, So Meredith had mentioned the national strike that was happening in Honduras right now. The protests, the people that are on the street, they are not met with open arms with the security forces in Honduras. Um, They are actively being suppressed. Live ammunition is being fired um, at protesters. Um, Tear gas. uh, It's not a a happy time on the streets, shall we say. The armed actors, the security forces in Honduras, are funded, armed, vetted by the United States. By the United States government, by the United military, States military, uh, you know, ambassadors there. Right. So all of the things that the security forces are doing on the streets to the people of Honduras are happening because the United States is funding them, vetting them, saying these are the people that should be doing it. This is the work that they should it's be doing. It's supporting the current government them. there. Right. In fact, on the ground right now, there's even U.S. Marines. I just was reading that in the news earlier. Um, Hmm. So uh, one of the things that uh, um, people in the U.S. are organizing to do is to support the um, Berta Cáceres Act in the United States Congress. So Berta Cáceres was a indigenous environmental activist in Honduras, um, and unfortunately, in 2016, she was murdered. Uh, her, yeah, her house was stormed by armed men and she was assassinated. Right. And uh, it, it's still with impunity. Uh, the, and it was sort of an extrajudicial killing, right? Right. You know, they did not identify themselves as police or, or agents of the state. Um, but 
all signs point to the fact that they were, you know, are paramilitary or otherwise enabled by the uh, by the by the government. Right, and her her killers are known, mm-hmm. um, but they are still walking free. Um, and this is a it is a case that uh, Madge uh, is working on. So the lawyers for Madge are active in the Berta Casares murder trial. That is why this act that was introduced by Representative. Henry Johnson from Georgia, a Democrat from Georgia. And this, the Berta Caceres Act, uh, currently in the House of Representatives, is aiming to end all security force aid to Honduras from the United States until they improve their human rights on the ground. Um, So that's one way that uh, within the U.S. we can, uh, you know, you can call your, your representative... Uh, and find out if they're supporting this act, encourage them to support this act in order to not have U.S. funds going to, you know, fund, arm uh, and train these security forces that are creating a terrible human rights situation on the ground. Right. And it's it's sort of ironic because uh, President Trump has mentioned wanting to cut off all aid for many uh, Latin American countries, including Honduras. And, And, you know, the ironic part of it might be that that could maybe cut off military aid, I'm sure that which, which would be an aid uh, to the people on the ground. We shouldn't jump to conclusions. That's that that right. Would be the right. Of course. I so, think it's what you brought up the president. And so I would just like to mention that uh, this was a moment for me just in my, uh, in my political development as a radio producer. When I, when, when Barack Obama was elected president, there was this uh, starry-eyed potential for there to be a break from the past where former administrations supported coup governments, supported the overthrow of democratically elected Latin American presidents. And it was an open question as to whether Barack Obama was going to continue that legacy or or, uh, denounce it and work against it. And the moment that the coup occurred in Honduras in 2009 – it was very interesting because I know that the president came out very quickly and spoke out uh, forcefully a- about it being a coup against a democratically elected president. But a couple of days later, he walked to those statements back and spoke about it in much more U.S. presidential terms. And uh, I know this also um, sort of becomes a uh, election issue when Hillary Clinton runs for president because they were the Secretary of State at the time and uh, did what the U.S. government does, which is support the coup against the democratically elected government of Honduras. Which, well, so, it really rather it supports the government in power, right? Uh, I well, think. it supports the government that protects yeah, the, the business interests, in business interests, of w- w- which which were the in support well, there. So it's interesting to uh, when Trump said, "Let's cut off all aid." to the Northern Triangle. The, I, w- that happened when I was in Honduras. Yeah. Uh, and we asked partners what they thought of it. Um, and they were like, yeah, cut off all the aid. We don't care. We don't see any of it. Um, but it, you know, that their government is so corrupt that any aid going, not just security aid, mm. they're, 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 not, they're not thinking or feeling that there's any benefit to it. Um, what I want to be very clear about, though, is the framing of why cut off aid. Uh, so with the Berta Caceres Act, it is saying cut off security aid because yeah. it is funding human rights abuses. And that needs to end. 
when Trump says cut off aid, he's saying we need to cut off aid to stem the flow of migration, which the migration is happening because of that human rights abuses. He doesn't. Well, I don't know what he thinks. I'm not going to put words into his mouth. But if the Honduran government would just double down on the human rights abuses and not let people leave. Yeah, the that, aid would still flow. Right. It, it would just make the situation be, that, that's significantly worse. That's not helping the situation on the ground in Honduras. Right. Because what we what continually gets left out of the conversation on migration is that uh, people are leaving something. That uh, there are dangerous and difficult circumstances on the ground throughout uh, these various countries yeah. that are always, causing people to leave. I always um, want to bring up, uh, since this is a podcast now, we're just uh, we're just chatting, the one of the countries that is uh, currently uh, the source of a lot of this migration that is uh, the hot topic that is so terribly distorted by the way the president talks about it is Guatemala. And the second country that the U.S. government overthrew a democratically elected uh, government, and this was uh, now over 100 years ago, was the government of Guatemala. And uh, it was all for bananas at that time. Uh, the, the term banana republic is in our language because of this history. And um, they had a – there was a potential for a different history, that there was a potential for a different kind of economic development for the people of the region where uh, they would need to leave the violence or the poverty that they currently are leaving and that that potential was uh, was lost by these uh, – less responsive, less democratic governments being uh, supported and put into power. And the United States has played its role now for so many generations. And, and forgetting that fact is um, is always doing a disservice to, to everybody's concept of, of what kind of world we live in and, and why this stuff is happening. There's been a lot of information we've gone over here. Um, Ellen, can you tell us, you know, where can people learn more about Honduras and and the work that is being done uh, by indigenous communities? So if you go to the Witness for Peace Solidarity Collective website, um, you'll see a lot of information there about the work that they're doing in Honduras as well as other countries. Their website is solidaritycollective.org. Um, another place that you can uh, find a lot of great information about what's happening in Honduras is the Honduran Solidarity Network, and you can find them on Facebook. They're on Facebook, the Honduran Solidarity Network. And we will have uh, links to both of those organizations, as well as much more background that uh, Meredith and Alan have supplied to us at the show notes for this episode at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast this is episode number 198 ellen knutson you were in honduras with the witness for peace solidarity collective thank you so much for sharing some of what you've observed and experienced there with radio survivor thank you for having me yeah and our thanks again to meredith beeson a radio producer at krsm in south minneapolis who also joined ellen on that trip to honduras and uh it would be It'd be weird not to mention at this point on Radio Survivor that Ellen Knudsen and Paul Reese Mandel uh, are partners. Are partners here. <laughs> yes. They, they share a home. And so uh, it was great to have you uh, on the podcast for the second time. Ellen Knudsen uh, appeared on Radio Survivor three years ago, a hundred episodes or more ago, to talk about libraries. 
And so uh, that should go in the show notes as well, especially for me so I can remember any of it. As we slowly approach episode 200, uh, it's a milestone here in the 10th anniversary year of Radio Survivor. Someday I'm going to just listen to all of them again to put them all back in my brain mm-hmm. and I'll be a little uh I'll be a little nostalgic and I'll be a little embarrassed. I, I and we really appreciate every moment that you spend with us. We're yeah. now broadcast on on well over 20 community radio stations across North America, which includes Canada and also includes Ireland. We're currently now broadcast on Flirt FM in Galway. Ireland. What and a wonderful honor. Thank you, guys. Many of you also listen to us by podcast. We thank you as well for taking that time. And if you're listening on the radio and you don't always get a chance to catch us, uh, you can listen to the podcast at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. And we'd encourage you to subscribe in your favorite podcast app. It's free. It just means that you don't miss an episode. It'll be downloaded for you to catch whenever you've got a free moment, a free commute, or you're driving in the car and need a little something to listen to. If you have any comments about today's program, please send them off to us by email to podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And we are active on Twitter and Facebook if you prefer to contact us that way. Uh, Just look for Radio Survivor. We're very easy to find. We are a listener and reader-supported enterprise. To learn more about how you can help us keep doing work like this, please go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Yeah, thank you everybody for listening today. Uh, My name is Eric Klein, Paul Riesmandel. Uh, we'll see you, you all next week. And we'll be more specific in the way that you can help us do the work that we're doing. We currently run a campaign with Patreon where folks can sign up to support us every month to help us do this work. We're currently on a campaign to go to 100 supporters. Yeah, just 100 individuals who care about what we do enough to uh, to give us a relatively small amount of money every month to do the work and... We have, in exchange for that, uh, a gift that we're going to give to the world. We want to give to you and the world. We want to do some work. We're looking by July 1 to have 100 supporters so that we can do the work it takes to document what we what we're worried is going to be some some nearly lost history. It's going to be the 20th anniversary of the WTO protests in Seattle in 1999. And why that's important is because... Well, 1999 was the beginning of the internet, right? As we know it. Well, you know, that's yes. part of it. It is part so of it. So there was a medium. There was a media moment because yeah, it was the a media internet, moment. The and, internet used to be the media. Well, potential. and and what what happened is that activists came together to create something called the indie media movement, and to it put connected stories to online to put to allow people to publish online uh, immediately. Before the Twitter, unfiltered. Before, before there the was Facebooks. a Twitter. Before there was a YouTube. Before there was a YouTube. Uh, in a way that really it was almost impossible to do and to publish not just words, but images, sound and video and to do so freely so that people could report from the streets of Seattle what was really going on, not what would only be covered by journalists in helicopters yeah. and and uh, and protected and then by as, police. As I understand it, even though I was just a baby at the time, uh, I was in my 20s, the... Um this moment where we're covering the one story in Seattle by using the internet to to allow people to publish in public to, to create their own news to create their own radio to create their own media um, it led to a movement where there were uh, there were indie media 
organizations yeah. that cropped and up so, around and some the many, many still exist. But what's important is that the people who came together came from radio, the community radio. They came from Micropower Radio, which was the movement of unlicensed stations acting in civil disobedience to try to force the creation of what we now know yeah. as low power FM. That's the big connection that we're that we're trying to make. Yeah. That we're very excited about making was that this one moment of of uh, community media creation in a very decentralized way uh, leads directly to the kind of growth in radio that that Radio Survivor has been very excited about now for almost two hundred yeah. episodes. And, and All the, these low power FM stations and the tendrils go into. In fact, the kind of social media, in quotes, that we enjoy today, um, including Twitter, which originally was started as a podcasting application yeah. called Odeo. Um, and there were indie media activists who worked in the early days of Odeo. Um, this is a story then that leads into 2000, when, we'll be, when we will be celebrating the uh, 20th anniversary in 2020 of Low Power FM and the greatest flourishing community radio that's ever been seen. So how how is the, how is the activism that we are talking about linked to the radio that we're that we always talk about? These are the stories that we want to talk to. People, we want to talk get to their the voices. people, but we need your help to do it. This is not a small project, and you know, it is it is taking taking form here. But we would hate to see the moment and the anniversary go unrecognized, in part because we also worry that um, the book is not being written, the radio documentary is not being done, and we'd like to do that work, but we need your help to do it. So please go to radiosurvivor.com slash Patreon and uh, make a contribution, a promise of at least a dollar a month, but if you can spare more, that would be great. We're going to be announcing very soon, um, very, very soon, uh, a special... Uh, reward for folks who can make that contribution and we hope that maybe we'll spur you to contribute but we hope it's really the promise of the work that moves you to help us out well one of the neat things about patreon that i know other or uh, workers have have used the platform is it 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 allows you to communicate directly with a few supporters and obviously we have this podcast we talk to you guys a lot uh, listeners but um with a certain density of support on Patreon, we can start using that platform to 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 do this work that we we're talking about with creating and, and keep you up to date and really let you, and you know it be, be interactive. And yeah. we certainly folks who give uh, via Patreon, we we want to make sure that you know that we're at work. That channel will be there and and we'll start putting it to use, and that's going to be fun. Absolutely. So go to patreoncom slash survivor live stream. We'll, we'll we'll figure see. it out. We'll see what you want to do. I don't want to make any promises. No, of course not. But the fun part is is that you as uh, you yeah. know, that the Patreon sort of get an extra channel to communicate with us. We love getting emails from all the listeners, right. and we read them and we respond. We respond to all of our listeners. But Patreon will give us this another channel uh, to go back and forth as we do the work, and so that's that's an exciting uh, uh, future future question to be answered. Go to patreon.com dot com slash radio survivor. Well, thank you, everybody.